ghost nets and water lines. Our earth mother cries when the nets are set adrift, for they travel loosely and kill sea life as they go. Drifting in the moon tides, the grim reapers travel wide through tidal water homes of the all life living free, to drift and pluck from the all life every living thing that shares the bloodlines of the all life of our world. The nets drift on to kill like ghosts the fish can't see and plastic muck that people dump in seas so old. And the nets will drift and drift as if they really should to spread and twist like floating shrouds to look for more. The birds and fish get tangled in monster knitted webs made of twisted ropes and twine to make a deathly claw. Yep, Kim Everett, purely a meaner matter. From Cape Barrett Island. Oh, well, I'm, you know, people sort of see me as a writer, but to be quite honest, I don't see myself as a writer at all because I do all sorts of other art forms and, like, and, and filmmaking. I actually started off when I was young writing at six, but um, I, I also used to do black and white drawings with the fine Indian ink, uh, small pen nibs, and um, I had an exhibition in, a, in Maui in, in south-east Gippsland, Victoria, when I was about eight at the uh, local news agents, which was, you know, um, done, it was really done, uh, put there by the school. And um, that sort of introduced me to the, to the fact that what I was doing was interesting to people. This is What Are You Looking At? I'm your host, Lisa Campbell-Smith. This episode is the second in a series dedicated to the Walantanana Linani Palingana program, otherwise known as WAPA. Here at CAT, we are standing on the sidelines as allies in a forward-focused effort to support the WAPA program, the people producing it and those who wish to participate. We believe in vocalising this support in much the same vein as putting a name to philanthropic support to the arts. To remind others, through the networks available to us, of the importance of doing this, maintaining Aboriginal cultural knowledge and driving it forward with new generations. In the previous episode, we spoke with creative producer of WAPA, Ruth Langford, about her recent projects and creative practice. When speaking about WAPA, Ruth always says it's Jim's vision. Here we had the privilege of speaking with celebrated artist and Aboriginal elder Jim Everett, Puralia Minamata. Jim is well known locally and nationally for his work in the Tasmanian creative community and has held consultative roles across art forms as well as in government and community liaison. Wollantanalinity is a word from up to northeast country. I come from up that way in north. I'm playing Marina from uh, Minamata country, sort of the west of the uh, of that country, which is the land between Mount Ben Lomond and the Blue Tears. Say that all that valley uh, that runs through there with the with the Esk River running through it, and um, um, and it was more like a commons. You know the English Commons. It was sort of like the thoroughfare for people in, like the Plainway Arena and the other two clans there, and the Stony Creek mob, for instance. We're all landlocked. We've got no coastal boundaries, so we've got freedom of movement through the Minamata country to the coast, and vice versa. The coastal uh, people have access through there to the uh, interior when they're coming in summertime. They come. In, our clans used to be inland of a summertime on the coast of a wintertime. Most, might seem strange to people that that's how our seasons worked. 
So Wollantanalinity is uh, a word that means country all round, and Palingana means welcome. So it's, uh, and the other thing is that Wollantanalinity is an old recorded word by the English, which may not be accurately accurate or correct. But that's what it was recorded as, and it's not necessarily dismissed at all because it may not all, uh, you know, could be. Um, it's there. Palingana is a Palawakani word of our new language that is now becoming our um, community language. And so you've got the old and the new, and that's what it is. It's like the traditional to the contemporary. So, Wallantanalinity, Palingana, country all round, welcome. You know, I've been involved in a whole range of different arts, and of course, one of my big loves is um, is theatre. So, you know, I wrote my first play in 1983, uh, longhand in three hours actually, and never edited it or anything. Just got it typed out by my cousin Karen Brown, and uh, um, and we performed it at the Salamanca Arts Festival in Peacock Theatre in 1984, and again in the same festival in 1985. So, my interest has always been around. Um, uh, expressions in arts, mainly writing, but as I say, theatre. Mo- I moved into documentary filmmaking. Um, so I'm interested in, and I've been involved with a whole range of other um, arts, including like uh, installation type art with the uh, Arab Islanders uh, from the Torres Straits, uh, which is right up near uh, Papua New Guinea, and, and things like this. And so. Um, it appear, and I'm getting older. Like uh, so, the festival for the for the Wollantana Linani Palingana program is set for twenty two ten twenty two. Is it? Yeah, and um, twenty twenty two. Is it no twenty twenty ten twenty two? I can't I can't remember what the date is now. That's how terrible it is. <laughs> no, twenty two ten twenty two. Um, uh, which is my eightieth birthday in that month, and so um. And I realised that we needed to get something going because we needed something that was going to in, in get the emerging Aboriginal community artists, the young people, into actually practising, getting them the opportunities to ex- get experience and uh, um, and you know, get their art uh, up and running in some way. And uh, I've known Ruth since she was a baby. Like I, I remember when she was born, and I was friends with her mother uh, and her father, who's still alive. And uh, uh, it appeared to me that she, with her experience of running the Naira Niara uh, festival, that she would be the one that ought to actually take over this Wollantana Linani Palingana program. So I asked her if she would take it over, and she did. Uh, and um, uh, and I told her then that. Um, I'm not just an elder that says, you know, I'll give you the program, but I'm going to supervise it. Um, if an elder is going to pass uh, something over to young people, then they should pass it over and trust them to actually make it work and use their own experience to to give it its own profile, give it its own life. And that's exactly what, what uh, Ruth's doing. Um, and... Um, and, and uh, uh, up to date from, uh, I think we started this in 2011, um, she's really, oh no, sorry, 2017, uh, she's really um, developed uh, a lot of projects that have really lifted young people from the Aboriginal community into the arts. Not only that, but um, it, it 
it, it's it's also connected with non-Aboriginal people and artists that uh, eventually uh, will become even bigger, I think. And this is this is a way of um, closing the gap in terms of uh, the Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal community. And I think that that's a really important part of what we've got to do. Uh, we can't have the divisions there forever because they, are, they are there and they need to be uh, worked through. You can't just drop them. You've got to work through those things and, uh, and find a, a good, happy uh, medium. I, I, I had in mind that this festival would be a showcasing of Tasmanian Aboriginal cultural arts across Hobart. And that that could include, um, you know, Nathan Maynard's plays or one of his major plays. Um, it could include a lot of the um, the uh, visual arts, um, a lot of uh, literary arts, uh, and so on, uh, and film even if uh, we've got other filmmakers emerging. Uh, so that um, uh, again, you know, I saw it as being something that would be really the showcase of our our arts across Hobart. Uh, I've said to Ruth recently that she shouldn't worry too much about the size of this festival. It isn't the size of the festival that I'm uh, really had in mind. What I really do have in mind is that it's the journey to get there in bringing out these young artists from our community and getting them into experiences so that they're going to be uh, they're going to they're going to step up to the to the to the, um, the the next lot of work that's going to be the future past my time, you know. And, um, and indeed, past Ruth and so on. You know that we—it's like knowledge maintenance. And if you don't have knowledge maintenance, you lose your cultural knowledges and you lose your arts, you lose your identity even. So it's about all those things. Well, it isn't really. You know, thinking about uh, the cultural—sorry, uh, the um, knowledge maintenance. It isn't just uh, for the future generations that one shouldn't be c concerned. Um, I, I've been to a number of. Um, uh, international uh, Indigenous Knowledge uh, conferences and of course the biggest issue that all Aboriginal peoples all over the world have is um, protecting their knowledge. Um, it's quite often um, um, acquired by various people or institutions. It's manipulated to fit into certain types of, uh, for instance, Menzies. Uh, it was one program, uh, one project I was involved in where they they wanted us to write stuff out because they couldn't explain it in the Western science, and we refused and uh, and won the battle with them. But uh, and so they, that, that's that manipulation of knowledge that um, changes it, and therefore it isn't anymore the truth of knowledge. So knowledge maintenance is about keeping the truth, the truth of your knowledge, and keeping it alive to go on to the next generations. So it's it's simply that, no more. Um, um, and um, uh, it's about it's not about what's out there that might take or manipulate your knowledge. It's about how do we keep our knowledge alive in our communities. And uh, this is, a, as I say, a, a global sort of program. Aboriginal peoples all over the world are doing it. So, you know, we're joining them to keep our knowledge um, safe and at the same time uh, take them into the future. Um, it gives great opportunity too for young artists to... Uh, um, to re-view it into a contemporary uh, style, all those things. One shouldn't be frightened to move from traditional to contemporary cultural arts at all. It's, uh, if you have a static culture, it becomes irrelevant in the finish. You can't have a static culture because it's just uh, not going anywhere. 
So um, uh, the big thing for us is to make sure that our our cultural arts is um, a living thing and that it's open for younger generations to uh, put their mark in it. You know, this is traditional actually. If you look at the, um, the Northern Territory areas and in the desert country where they do totem poles, for instance, those totem poles are done by the, the older artists. They're placed in a certain place. They rot away. The younger artists come along. They redo those totem poles in a contemporary uh, version of those poles and so on. So it just keeps going. And the story doesn't change. It's just that it's told in a, in a more contemporary style of and using perhaps different um, art forms as well. So I, I'm, I'm more keen on that, actually. I really have an interest in contemporary style of our traditional arts so that it doesn't become static it, um, and uh, the, the, the traditional arts can always be maintained, but one shouldn't think that that's going to hold you there and not be able to uh, be creative for contemporary um, styles and uh, expressions of that same art. We just don't have a place to go and sit down and work out what creative ideas can come together. You know, so if the groups are all working out individually, there's hardly an opportunity to share knowledge and experience in the in the cultural arts. And uh, uh, once that's up and running, and we have it nice and firm, uh, I would think that that would become a hub for working with non-Aboriginal people to share that knowledge and, and experience too. You see, because like. Uh, the governments are not keeping up with us, and you know we're talking treaty and all these things. Um, regardless of that, their governments and they're behind. They're falling behind everybody else. The governments and um, uh, the people in the communities are now starting to come together and do things anyway. And I think that's what what this cultural centre uh, will and should do is to um, again, you know, bring our people together so we haven't got um, uh, divisions. At the end of the day, we're just all people. And, um, and what I'd like to see is that we make our treaties by what we do, rather than having some government paper that tells us this is a treaty and therefore you've got these things. Uh, the treaty's important because we need to be free of government control so we can have self-determination. But out in the cultural arts, we've already got self-determination. What we've got to do is express it, and develop it up to its highest level. Like silent ghosts, their tentacles drift wherever they will go, until the sea is struggling against this ever-shifting water. For nets keep on coming like spidery ghosts of sin, and we see them killing off the most ancient life of all. And so it is with ghost nets coming on our shores, where island people use them to tell stories of the sea. With kelp and fibre string and flotsam jetsam as our stores, telling stories of island life that taught respect for living free. Recycle and renew our strongest feelings of respect for the sea and its life that sustains us from the brine. Our island life is a freedom with the sea that we protect. We leave our softest footprints in the golden sands of time. To be happy in connection of this wondrous living world, we walk the beaches to feel the sand crunch between our toes. Along we walk collecting 
Shells and bull kelp come ashore for telling stories and creating songs of islands that we know. And dance our stories in island festivals to celebrate it all. From islands north and islands south, we tell you of our lore. As we watch the mutton birds return to their island holes and the turtles come in life cycles done many times before. We make natural string stories from our island ways, telling stories of broken cycles that suffer as they die, from human offal that drifts along, always there to pray. We tell stories about deadly ghost nets, always floating by. Yet still we sniff the sea smells, tainted with odorous death, while we weave grass string stories and shells from the shore. The spiral webs from coloured nets tied in with bull kelp leaf and woven in many colours telling stories of the law. Weaving our sea patterns like coral families made of string with nets and kelp and woven spirals making stories come alive. Into the spirals of coral and kelp we make these stories sing and weave stories from the things we find whenever they arrive. Through stories and bloodlines with the all-life of the sea, feeling the water and smelling the essence coming on the breeze, our crystal sands and timeless spaces, ever they will be. And water lines join our islands across waves of memories. That was Jim Everett, Paralaya, Minamata reciting his poem Ghost Nets and Waterlines from the documentary Blood of Life, directed by Troy Melville and produced by Jim Everett and Troy Melville. What Are You Looking At is a podcast from Contemporary Art Tasmania, produced by Pip Stafford and myself, Lisa Campbell-Smith. The mix for this episode was provided by Brendan Walls. More episodes of What Are You Looking At can be found at contemporaryarttasmania.org.